Hey, this is Sabrina Marie, host of the Building Abundance Success Series. Our primetime mastermind that promotes empowered focus, decisive action, and inspired outcome. Tonight, our spotlight on entrepreneurship and internet marketing. Also referred to as iMarketing, web marketing, online marketing, and search engine marketing. And it is the marketing of products or services over the internet. The internet has brought media to the global audience and the interactive nature of internet marketing in terms of providing instant response and eliciting response is a unique quality of medium. The internet marketing is sometimes considered to have a broad scope because it not only refers to the internet, email, and wireless media, but also includes management of digital customer data and electronic customer relationship management. Internet marketing ties closely with the creative and technical aspects of the Internet, including design, development, advertising, and sales. And marketing refers to the placement of media along many different stages of the customer engagement cycle. Search engine marketing, search engine optimization, banner ads, and specific website, email marketing, and web 2.0 strategies. There's affiliate marketing and cost per action, contextual advertising, and revenue sharing. There's pay-per-click and uh, SEO, paid inclusion, mobile advertising. Wow, uh, you know, the, the sky's the limit, and I wonder where we're going to be in the next 10 years. Well, anyway, I talked to somebody who has a handle on the Internet. In fact, he's been on the Internet for the past 10 years. Actually, he's been on the Internet over 10 years. He started in 1996. His name is Armin Morin. Yes, Armin Morin. You have uh, been familiar with Armin, whether you knew it or not, either by seeing the end results of one of his many products, one of his students' websites, or by simply seeing his name on thousands, hundreds of thousands of websites over the Internet. And alone, his name appears on over 500,000 websites. Go do a Google search on Armin Morin and you will find him on Google, uh, Yahoo, uh, MSN, Bing. Uh, look at the search results that come up. He's an internationally sought after speaker and trainer and an author, self-made multimillionaire, and best-selling recording artist. You're going to love this interview. Yeah. Were you one of the early ones to own your own domain name? No, no. There. There was a huge wave of uh, domain name uh, buying and speculation that happened uh, basically in 1994 to 1995 that grabbed up all the big and good domain names. Yeah, I, I talked with someone, uh, another person. Uh, both of them were approached in, get this, 1988. Yeah. And they told them, and, and, and this is before they, they made their billions, and yeah. they're like, well, there's this new thing called the Internet, and you need to buy a domain name. And they were just looking at each other like, domain name, what the heck is that? Yeah, <laughs> what, yeah, why, do we, why do we need this? And they offered them at that time a share in these domain names. They said, people are gonna, this is going to be really hot. People are going to buy these names, and if they buy these names and you come in, early, you'll be able to get some of the profits. Well, they turned it down, <laughs> and, that, yeah, I mean, and now they're kicking themselves like, whoa, what did we do? Yeah, I mean, I know a lot of friends of mine that, that had gotten uh, earlier in and got their got domain names. I mean, for example, John Reese uh, mm -hmm. at one time owned ship.com and owned a lot of one-word domain names, and he made a fortune actually just selling them off uh, mm -hmm. to, other, to other big companies. 
Mm-hmm. That's what happened with them. They they weren't willing to look outside the box of what they already were doing, but you were always willing to at least explore other possibilities. And I was wondering, from that early salesperson, were you always entrepreneurial? Um, you know, I would have to say, in a way, yes, in a way, no. I mean, from the very early on stages of, in my life, um, I always was looking for other ways and alternative ways to make money rather than the norm, than what other people were doing. I knew there was outside ways of doing it, and I knew that people were obviously creating wealth. The question was how to do it and, and what was the process behind it, and was that same process available to me? Mm-hmm. Meaning, was there a barrier to entry? Was there, a, for example, a money barrier in some cases? In most businesses, offline, there is a money barrier. Mm-hmm. You have to have some sort of startup capital in, in order to get started, whether it be a couple hundred dollars or whether it be uh, you know, a couple thousand dollars, depending on what type of business that you're getting ready to start. Um, so was I always looking for other ways to make money? The answer is absolutely yes. Did I succeed with any of that? Pretty much no up until... I actually got on the internet in or well the first business I started was a success but and still I don't really consider that part of my let's say my internet story so to say. Wow. I know that um the internet is your domain and you now are an internationally thought trainer and speaker all over the world and you have generated 76 million dollars yeah, or more. Yeah, yeah, actually it's a little bit more than that now. We've we've hit over 80 plus million dollars in sales. Over the course of the last few years, we now average well over twenty plus million dollars in sales every single year. This year, we'll probably hit uh, roughly around twenty five million dollars in sales. Uh, wow! And you know, it's it, there's a lot of different things. I mean, I speak in uh, usually about eight different countries each and every year. Uh, this year, I spent about a month and actually I spent six weeks uh, in Australia so far this year, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, just literally speaking almost every single day. Uh, while I was in Australia, because I have a huge group of people that uh, that have purchased my products, and that a lot of people in Australia want to know about marketing on the internet, <clears throat> so I've been there, and also I've been to a lot of different places all, all over the world. I was fortunate enough to sit down and have dinner at Buckingham Palace. That, wow. was, always, that was kind of a cool one. Yeah. Uh, I think I'm only one of uh, two internet marketers that have ever done that. Wow, that's amazing. Awesome. I wanted to know, in terms of that 96 through 2000 period, I know that a lot of things changed within that period before we got to the new millennia. Can you talk a little bit about that and how the merchant accounts and other things changed coming into this, uh, this, uh, you know, generation and this, uh, uh, well, yeah, this generation. Because people now, uh, born within the 90s, and they, they have always known the internet. They grew up with an internet or computer. So. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, going into, you know, a lot of people when they talk about the years from, let's say, 1996 to the year 2000, uh, probably the first words that come on their mouth is the big bubble burst. Mm-hmm. And, um, and basically, you know, I, I think you have to know a little history in order to move on to the future. Uh, oddly enough, I feel that the internet bubble burst is happening all over again. Wow. Uh, and, and I'll explain why. I mean, what happened in 1990, really around 1998 to the year 2000, is that you had companies uh, literally all over the world starting up and basically going public. Uh, what they would do is they, they had no company, they had no website, they had no product. The term vaporware was used quite a bit where they'd get a bunch of venture capital in from a lot of different investors with the hopes that they were going to actually launch this company. And in many cases, the company never actually launched ever. They just generated literally millions upon millions of dollars. 
and and this was happening. So venture capital was really big during that time frame uh, because everyone just wanted to jump on. If if you had the word internet or dot com attached to it, then everyone wanted a piece of it. And so a lot of these companies that came and they they came really fast and they went really fast as well too. But did it really affect the people that were doing, let's say, direct response marketing on the internet? The answer is no. When the bubble burst, it had no bearing on my business whatsoever, uh, had no bearing on anyone else's business that I knew that was doing direct response marketing, meaning that we're actually selling a product and or service directly to the consumer, had no bearing and no effect on us whatsoever. And merchant accounts at that time uh, were relatively new. I mean, people, it was it was harder then to get a merchant account than it is today uh, because you merchant accounts didn't understand how the internet worked. Wow. They they just didn't understand that what was happening behind this. And even to this day, most merchant account companies don't know how the internet really works. And so they they give you really really strict limitations. And let me give you an example. This is probably a great story. Um, about 2003, now, like about 2003. Uh, remember, I had that merchant account taken away in the in the late 1990s. About 2003 or so, I, I went ahead and I said, okay, my business is growing. I need to have a merchant account. I'm going to take the plunge, and I'm, I have to have one. So I went ahead, did the research, got another merchant account, and had it for about 30 days. And I spoke at a big event for Mark Victor Hansen, and then I launched a big product during one week. And then I traveled over Australia during that time as well, too. And all of a sudden, I processed, I processed a lot of money that month, especially in a single week. I processed probably... I don't know, a couple hundred thousand dollars. And I'm in Australia. My wife calls me up on the phone and says, there's something wrong with our merchant account. I said, well, what do you mean? She says, well, we're getting an error code 30 on our shopping cart system. Wow. And at that time, I was using a system called One Shopping Cart. Well, turns out the owner of One Shopping Cart was sitting, was uh, actually staying in the next bungalow next to mine in Australia. Mm-hmm. So I, I called him up. I said, Rob, I said, I've got an issue. I said, what's the... What's going on here? He says, well, that has to do with your merchant account. It actually has nothing to do with us. I said, okay. So I, I, my wife looks up and finds a number for the merchant account company. I called him up, and I talked to a guy named Judd Smith, and Judd says, well, um, where are you right now? I said, well, I'm in Australia. He says, are you laundering money? I said, I'm, like, oh, Dude. I'm like, no, I'm not laundering money. I said, I'm down here. I'm speaking at a seminar. Uh, he said, well, you processed an awful lot of money lately. And it kind of raised the red flag as far as our, uh, as far as our systems go. I said, well, you know, I just recently spoke at a large event. I told them I had launched a product and I have 18,000 affiliates that promote my products and services. And I said, are you online right now? And he said, yes. I said, well, I said, why don't you do a search for my name on Google and then do a search for my name on Yahoo. And my name comes up, you know, half a million times or so when you do that. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> he paused for a second. Now I'm sweating it out on the other end of the phone. Because I know that this guy's about to shut down my merchant account. I'm going to have all this hassle all over again. He pauses, and then he comes back on, and he says, you know what? We should do something together. Wow. Just like that. And so within 10 minutes, my merchant account comes back on. I then start referring all kinds of business uh, you know, to, to this company called PowerPay. Um, and I still do to this very day. In fact, just last night, I sent another email out promoting them. Um, in fact, I'm one of their largest uh, affiliates for PowerPay to this day. In fact, last year alone, we increased their business by almost, uh, almost well, put this way, we increased their processing business by almost half a billion dollars. Wow. Um, so they like me at this particular point. <laughs> I guess so. 
But but here's the thing: is that um, today there's been a lot of scare, and there's been a lot of scare today in, in the year 2010 as, as, uh, with merchant accounts, and especially of the last few months. And the reason is is because the Visa and MasterCard companies have went through and they've gone a cleanup of their whole system. And you have to go back a little bit just to kind of understand what transpired. Uh, last um, last December, uh, in December of 2009, the FTC on December 8th came out with a whole set of rules mm-hmm. uh, for all the, all the businesses in the U.S. about what you can, what you can't do, what's legal, what's not illegal, what they will come after you for and what they won't come after you for. So they created this whole new set of rules. And at that particular point, the uh, merchant account companies essentially started implementing their rules as well, too, stating what you can and can't do or say in your business practices as you sell your products and services. Mm-hmm. So what Visa and MasterCard basically shut down about forty to 50,000 merchants. And the reason why is because it was deceptive practices, things that they were doing that were, um, let's just say, not above board. And so a lot of marketers went running uh, into hiding, saying, I don't want my merchant account shut off. When some of them deserved to have their merchant account shut off uh, because of the practices that they were instituting. Mm-hmm. Uh, just it wasn't above board. They didn't let the customer know that they were going to. For example, a person might get a CD for $6.75 or something like that, mm-hmm. uh, and then, without them knowing it, get charged $27 a month recurring billing. Oh, my heavens. And, and, and that happened to literally tens of thousands of people. Um, I should say tens, probably more like a hundred thousand people, really. Um, and these, this is people that I knew were doing even doing this. And it's wrong. I mean, it's, there's, there's no doubt it was wrong, uh, and they had to stop it. So, the FTC, uh, came in, they said that, the Visa and MasterCard came in and said this, and the process of processing money online, most Visa, MasterCard, most companies, in fact, many merchant account companies were actually put out of business. Mm-hmm. Over the course of this time frame, literally just in the past few months. Mm-hmm. But to, but in reality, if you're doing things above board and you're just selling a, you're giving people a good product for a fair value, then no one's really going to say anything to you. But today, if a person needs a merchant account, literally, you can have one in 24 hours. But again, that's if a company knows what you're doing. Like PowerPay, they understand the value. I've trained them to understand the value of what internet businesses can do. But if you go to your local bank, your local bank is going to put a limit on you. Right. What most, what most people don't know is that if you go to a local bank and you get a merchant account, then what's going to happen is they're going to shut you off if you get about $5,000 in volume. Why is it that um, in terms of Internet marketing, I'm finding, you know, as you, you spoke about, the, the rules change. Now there's Internet law to help people to understand how to word things properly and what to do and what not to do. But why do you think that the banks and have many other industries don't, like, that, that aren't into selling, aren't using and don't really know the power of the Internet? They really don't. Well, the thing is, is that um, I think people think it, have it in their mind that when it comes to the internet, just the word internet itself mm-hmm. uh, is it, it has to mean it's complicated. It has to mean that it's privacy issues. It has to mean that there is less um, security involved. And so, there's even a lot of people to this day that still have not ever purchased a product or a service on the internet. And, and and that's a very large portion. Actually, that's the majority of people in the world today actually wow. have not purchased something on the internet. And the reason is, is because they feel unsecure about it. Uh, I was just talking to a gentleman the other day, never purchased anything online. Uh, but, 
but that's you know it's changing it's slowly changing more and more people are becoming you know are learning that this is the norm people can't purchase products and services but a lot of businesses are still steadfast in their ways of we're a people business we right. only want to deal with people face to face and that's not true anymore uh 75% this is a great number i'm sorry 74% 74% of people that search for something on the internet right are are actually searching for something local right they're actually going on the internet first, searching for it, and then going to a local business in order to buy it. Mm-hmm. That's what that's what businesses themselves need to understand. Whether it be your local hairdresser, or whether it be the local uh, dry cleaners around the corner, people are searching online to find the business, and they're going offline. And if people understand that, every business really should be on the internet. And I think you're going to see a major push for this, specifically from Google. Mm-hmm. And Google right now is investing huge amounts of money into uh, into building their local business aspect of it, and right. and this is what a lot of people don't really see. Uh, Google recently launched a, or modified a name of something that they had already, and they're calling it Google Google Places. And Google Places is where businesses can list themselves up on the internet, and they're putting a big big push on because Google realizes that the power of the internet in the future is not going to be the worldwide aspect of it. It's actually going down to a more localized basis of having the local cities, local towns, and the local merchants actually on that service. And that's really where the power is going to be. I totally agree. I am also seeing that uh, we're having in this country an issue with, uh, um, I know that you are a recording artist, uh, printed media, verbal media, and a lot of, of billions of dollars of sales are done online, yet many people are still with the traditional way of radio, which I don't think will ever go out, but I, be- I believe uh, Internet radio is going to overtake that a lot more. Well, Can you speak to that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, here's the bottom line. Um, music is going to be free. Mm-hmm. There, is, there is no doubt. There is absolutely no doubt. I know a lot of people in the music industry, and um, the question was, how do you make music free? Well, and here's my whole, here's the whole thing. If you, if you're an artist, let's say there's a music artist out there. Um, the fact is most, mu- most artists don't write their own music. Mm-hmm. They get the music from someone else. So mm-hmm. you have to understand how the music industry works. So let's say I'm an artist. I want music for my upcoming album. I go to specific songwriters. I say, okay, I want to record your song. They say, okay, well, here's my song. There's no money exchanged at that point. The art, the, the, the songwriter gets paid only based upon the sale of the music, which means mm-hmm. for every CD that's sold, the songwriter is going to receive basically nine cents per song that they have on the album. Not a lot of money at this point. Right. But here's where the songwriter makes the killing. The songwriter makes the killing when the music is played on the radio. Mm-hmm. So for every single time that song is played on the radio, as an example, the songwriter is going to make roughly seven to eight cents. Mm-hmm. Per play. Now that can add up pretty fast. Uh, I know many songwriters making you know three hundred, four hundred, five hundred thousand dollars just off one song mm-hmm. a year. So a song, a, a song that's well played, can make a lot of money. So the question is now, well, how can they make music free? Because that's really what everyone wants. Right. But if you make music free, how does the songwriter get paid? Mm-hmm. Either the songwriter takes a piece of the whole artist as a whole, meaning that they're an investor into that artist. That's one way. Mm -hmm. And they would make a certain percentage of all the money 
that that artist generates. That would be one idea. Or what I believe probably more will happen is that the songwriters are basically going to get the raw end of the deal on this. And what's going to happen is the artist or the record company is going to go to the song uh, songwriter and say, hey, we're willing to pay you $25,000 or we're willing to pay you $50,000 for that song. Right. And then they, buy it outright. Mm-hmm. And they basically buy it outright and mm-hmm. maybe a bonus based upon sales or something like that. So that would be the other angle of it. But again, if you're a good songwriter, you're still talking. Even if someone gave you $50,000, if you were a good songwriter, you could have made three or $400,000 per year right. off that song. So now, how do you compensate those who are above average? 